Barefooting with Sierra uses Buzzsprout. Just start with the equipment you already have and a quiet space. Add Buzzsprout and your podcast is ready to go. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to show how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support the show. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout and get your message out to the world. Hello and welcome to the 25th episode of Barefooting with Sierra. My name is Sierra Larson, better known as Barefoot Sierra. I'm a novelist, comic creator, and independent journalist, and I have been living without shoes since 2010. I created this podcast to keep my audiences in touch with all of my projects, to talk about things I care about, and to interact with the awesome people in my various professional networks. In this episode, I interview Robert Ginsberg, medium investigator and founder of the Forever Family Foundation. I'm going to break this podcast up into four parts, novels, comics, journalism, and barefooting, each representing a different aspect of my professional life. I will give you updates on what I'm working on, let you know about any new works you can see, and keep you in the know about when I do free book giveaways on Amazon. Let's get started. First up, novels. My own novels have had to take a back burner due to the intensity of my new magazine job, so progress on them is slower than usual. I'm giving myself a lot of grace during this period as I get my magazine to launch. I already know I have what it takes to write and sell novels, as evidenced by the five novels I have written and the thousands of copies I've sold, but there's a time and place for everything. Right now is the time to focus on my job. And now for today's interview with Robert Ginsburg. Hi, Robert. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Please tell the listeners a little about yourself, where you're from, and what you do. Well, I don't know if we have enough time. <laughs> I, I, uh, my wife and I started the Forever Family Foundation in 2003 after the uh, death of our daughter. I began a search uh, in the scientific community for evidence that we survive a physical death to see if it was really true or not. My wife did not need the scientific evidence because she had, you know, an inner knowledge and had many intuitive experiences, you know, uh, of her own. One thing led to another and we became a, a global 501c3 not-for-profit organization and we have about 10,000 members. And one of the things that we do in the foundation is, is um, study mediumship and mediums. And we have a certification program to see if they really can do what they claim. And that eventually uh, led to uh, me writing a book called The Medium Explosion. So that's kind of where we are now. And then you also have a blog, Beyond the Five Senses. Could you tell us a bit about that? Well, I just that's really uh, just an outlet for me to, to post some of my ramblings about life and consciousness and, and my theories about the way things work. I do most of our activities. That's sort of a, a side thing. Most of our activities uh, involve the work you know, of the foundation. And then since uh, I mean, we were featured in the Netflix uh, Surviving Death series, and that really jump-started tremendous interest. So it's keeping it's keeping us busy, you know, and then, you know, I, I learn as much as everybody else, you know, I mean, people have stories of these non-physical experiences.
experiences and, you know, which are fascinating. And we study things like near-death experiences and deathbed visions, end-of-life experiences, uh, reincarnation, uh, after-death communications, mediumship. It's kind of compelling, the evidence, once you, once you really get into it. For sure. I'm definitely a believer myself. I've had some experiences. But to actually study the actual evidence of it, that would be absolutely fascinating because there's definitely some fakers out there too. And to be able to tell the difference. You're absolutely right. And, you know, and and I claim in the book, it's just my personal opinion based on my experience that somewhere around 85 to 90% of the, the mediums that are in practice today can't really do what they claim. Not to say that they're all fraudulent. Clearly they're not. A lot of them have some ability, you know, but their abilities are not perfected to the point where they can communicate with a, a discarnate, you know, entity. You know, we all have intuition to a certain extent, you know, and we all have some psychic ability, but there's a difference between communicating mind to mind with somebody in the, in the physical, as opposed to communicating with somebody that's no longer in the physical seems to be a different kind of a skill set. So with most mediums, are they actually talking to the dead? Are they mind readers? Are they talking to demons? Like what's going on there? Well, the theory is that when we are entities of, of consciousness, you know, we, we're in this physical shell. Um, and when we discard this physical body, our consciousness continues. Now, some people prefer to call not consciousness, they may call it the mind, or they may call it a soul, uh, but whatever the essence of, of who we truly are continues, you know, it's energy, energy can't be d- destroyed, and it just changes form. So the theory is that mediums are communicating telepathically with an entity in the spirit realm, except that when you look at it that way, it, it is telepathy. It's just that one of the parties doesn't no longer has a physical body, but their mind is still there. And that enables the medium to be able to communicate with that with that entity. No, there's nothing. Um, I mean, you mentioned, you know, communicating like with demons, you know, sometimes the media likes to portray uh, non-physical occurrences as sinister or something to be feared. And, you know, after witnessing probably a thousand, you know, medium readings over the years, I've never uh, witnessed one where like something negative comes through. Now we can, we could wonder why that is, you know, the mediums tell us that they kind of surround themselves, you know, with white light and, and they ask that only, you know, positive, you know, loving intentions come in. We're interested in the evidence, you know, we don't, we're not interested when the medium tells you, you know, you're giving me a reading and you see how old I am. And you tell me my grandmother, uh, you ask me if my grandmother is in spirit. Well, yeah, because she should be a hundred, 130, you know, <laughs> So, you know, that I mean, it's general stuff. And then there's really, really specific evidence. And you raised the point, are they really just reading your mind? Because that is a common accusation or, or miscommunication that that's all mediums are doing. But sometimes they communicate information that is unknown to the sitter, the sitter being the, the person that's getting the reading. So it kind of discounts the possibility that they're reading the mind if the sitter is not even aware of it, you know. So the evidence seems to point, sometimes even the, the scientists that study mediumship, they use uh, like blinded protocol, like in a drug study. So they use like a proxy sitter instead of the real sitter. So the proxy person sitting in for the real sitter has no idea at all about, you know, the information that would be in the sitter's head. So it seems to indicate that uh, they truly are communicating with somebody that's no longer in the physical world. Of course, that's the ones who actually can do what they claim to be able to do though, right? Right. And there's a lot of tricks. I mean, as I point out in the book, I mean, I, I could give a reading to somebody uh, as a non-medium 
and score like 90% accuracy, but I'm going to give you all general stuff that, you know, that's common, you know, they'll do certain things like uh, they'll size you up and, and they'll, they'll kind of say things like, oh, you know, your your grandmother had, had trouble breathing at the end. Well, yeah, don't we, that's what happens at the end, right? We all we stop breathing, you know, or, or, you know, grandma was a good cook or, you know, or, you know, mom loved you. I mean, these are all things that may be true, but you know, they're very general and how, you know, what's the evidence? I mean, how many people don't have their moms? I, you know, love them, you know, 99%, you know, do. So uh, they, they say things that are very general and, and, and people that are in grief, you know, will latch on to anything, you know, because they desperately want to communicate with their loved one. They want to know that their loved one still exists in some form and they'll make things fit you know, that don't really fit. I think that, you know, mediaship is only one form of evidence, but when you learn about all the different types and you kind of step back and say, wait, you can dismiss any one discipline of research or body of evidence, but when you look at it collectively, the thing that makes the most sense, you know, is that we're more than our physical bodies. Definitely agree with that. And like you said, when you're grieving, I think you are more likely to believe in a medium. Like when you watch those medium shows on TV, it always seems like it's someone who is trying to contact a specific someone who has died and they're really holding on to that grief. And that probably opens them up and makes them a bit more vulnerable to fraud. Is there any other ways to tell if a medium is a fraud other than what you mentioned? In my book, I, I actually um, have a chapter on how you can score your own reading to tell whether or not the information is true or whether there's really communication taking place. It's a very simplified method. We use a very sophisticated method when we when we evaluate mediumship, you know, through the foundation. So yeah, I mean, you can tell. I mean, we we always advise people when they're getting a reading with a medium to record it because sometimes you think you heard something, but then when you play it back, it's not quite what you what you thought you heard at the time. If you can't record it, um, you know, certainly take notes, you know, as it's going by. And then, you know, evaluate the statements, you know, is that something that they could have known? A very real thing today that didn't exist 100 years ago is the internet and Google, you know, because you can, um, as I'm talking to you, I could look you up uh, right now. And there's a lot of information that um, I, I can get, you know, while I'm giving you a reading, because now, because in the age of COVID, everybody's doing things online as opposed to being, you know, in a real environment. Now, it's hard if I show up, uh, if you don't know any information about me and all of a sudden you're reading me in a group, uh, you didn't have the opportunity to, to look me up. And, uh, you know, I mentioned it, good evidential mediums never resort to that. But there are a lot of mediums um, that maybe are not that gifted and evidential, and they will resort to things like that. And you have to you have to be careful. I, I once um, had a, a neighbor of mine. She was a very smart woman. And she had lost a husband. And she told me about this unbelievable reading that she had with a medium. And she told me, you know, the medium got you know, uh, my husband's name and, and what he did for a living and how he died and, you know, all of this information. And then she asked me if I would listen to the tape recording. And I did. And the medium didn't exactly get his name. She she mentioned 10 different names and one of them, you know, happened to be it. And it was also a very, um, you know, it was a very common first name. 
Um, you know, and then the medium uh, didn't get the, the the way that he died. And there's a lot of things that she convinced herself the medium got right. But when you look at it sort of objectively, it's it's not quite. On the other hand, I've seen medium readings that the virtual medium gets nothing wrong. And it's all very, very obscure, specific information that only, you know, the, the sitter knew. You know, it, it's amazing, the good mediums in that 10% category. Uh, and, and they have the power to change somebody's life. They can transform grief because the person walks out with some comfort and lightness and hope, you know. On the other hand, if a person is on the fence about whether the afterlife is real and they get a bad reading, they could walk away in worse shape than they were when they when they got the reading. So it's a it's not something to be taken lightly. Just because you have some intuitive ability doesn't mean that you can hang a shingle and make a lot of money and be like so-and-so on TV, you know, that people sometimes use it as a pathway to fame, you know, it has to be taken seriously. You mentioned the belief in an afterlife. How have you found that a belief in the afterlife affects grieving? Well, you know, it's not only what we found that there have been a lot of uh, peer-reviewed research studies that show that those who believe... Um, in an afterlife do much better in their grief than those that don't. Makes sense because what really can give you any comfort or hope than the thought that your loved one, you know, still still exists, that it's not, death is not final and they're not extinguished forever. Uh, and what we found in the foundation over the years is that there's sometimes, you know, dramatic uh, results. I mean, uh, the Netflix uh, series featured our grief, one of our grief retreats. And there we see tangible results. We see people walk in on Friday and they can't smile and they could barely talk. And then they're in horrible grief. And then when they leave, you know, at the end of the weekend, there's, there's a lightness and they're able to joke and, and so forth. So, um, you know, we see, um, you know, what greater gift than to, to have people uh, be better able to navigate their lives. The question is, does it stay with them when they go back into the, the real world? And you have to, it has to be reinforced. Yeah, that's why we, t- we tell people they have to learn and explore and, you know, open up to your own personal experiences because uh, people in spirit can, can communicate with you directly. You don't necessarily need a medium, you know, you could be a personal communicator without doing it for a living. <laughs> Definitely believe that to be true. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and you're you're well acquainted with grief yourself. You mentioned the passing of your daughter inspired you to found the Forever Family Foundation. And then you and your wife, Fran, were on the Netflix series. That's episode four that came out in January. But your wife, Fran, she passed recently, didn't she? Yeah, she September. passed in September. So it's, you know, it, it's, it's sort of like rebuilding my life once again, you know, I'm I mean, we, we were married for 46 years. It's, uh, you know, it's a rough one. She's the one that really was the true founder of the foundation. And she she did everything, you know, 99% of the work. So there was a reason she used to tell me to pay more attention. And uh, I wish I had listened because now I'm, I'm trying to reconstruct, you know, many of the things that she did um, in a couple of minutes. And it'll take me a week to do, do the same thing. But yeah, it was a different circumstance. And, um, you know, my daughter passed in a car accident and, and it was, more or less an instant thing. And, and, uh, and Fran suffered uh, with pancreatic cancer for an extended period of time and, you know, and suffered. So knowing what I know and experienced what I've experienced, you know, people may think, well, I'm going to, I'm not going to have such a horrible time because 
I know that there's an afterlife, but I'm human. Um, you know, I, I loved and, um, you know, that knowledge is, it's, it's still going to be painful and it's still going to hurt. The advantage though, is that I know, um, in, in my heart that she, she does still exist. So, you know, I could pull myself out of that sadness when it reaches, uh, you know, the, the, the deep despair, just going over in my mind what, what I know. I think people like myself that have that knowledge have a distinct advantage over those that don't. It must be sort of a surreal experience to have her somewhat immortalized on Netflix. Yeah, you know, you're right. It's it's funny you say that because I, I you know, they filmed us, you know what, what it's like in film and TV. I mean, they filmed us for over 50 hours. And, you know, you have 30 minutes that, you know, get into the film, but it was very, very emotional for me to, to, to watch her, you know, on the, on the show, even though, you know, I, I lived it with her because, you know, it's for obvious reasons. So yeah, it is. And, but I was glad that many, many people, you know, got to see her, you know, one last time, you know, on, on the film. So in a sense, yeah, it, she is like a immortalized on, on something tangible that people can watch. Um, and of course, you've probably had some sort of evidence-based examples that you gave on the Netflix show and in your book. Could you share some of those with us? Yeah, I mean, there, there were many, many. I mean, how, how this whole thing started is that, you know, Fran woke up on the morning of, of September 1st, 2002, three o'clock in the morning, she sat up straight in bed and was shaking and trembling and ash and white. And I said, what's the matter? And then she said, something horrible is going to happen today. And I said, well, what does that mean? What are, you know, she said, like, oh, I know it's something devastating is going to happen, you know, and to make a long story short, you know, I did what most parents would do. I checked on my three kids during the day and I sort of let my guard down at night and went out to dinner and we had two cars and on the way home, my son and my daughter were in an accident. Um, my son was severely injured. Um, he eventually made a, a recovery. And when he, when it was clear that he was going to make it and recover, and then it hit me, it was like a month later, but it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, how did she know? Because she knew. I mean, I saw her. She was trembling, you know. So that started me on this on this thing. I was traveled across the United States, meeting with some scientists and medical doctors that studied the, the human mind and consciousness and, and mediumship and things of that nature. Um, because I needed experts to tell me if this was legitimate or not, you know. So, you know, that just shows you um, some people have precognitive experiences, you know, the, you know, that come true. You know, my, my, it turns out that my daughter had a, made a pact when she, my daughter was 15 when she passed, but when she was 12 years old, she made a pact with her best friend. And, and the pact was that if either one of them were to die, they made up a sign for the other one. So the other one would know that they're still around. I mean, how many 12 year olds make packs like that? I don't know, but my daughter did. And after the funeral, her best friend came over to the house. I didn't know this till later and told my wife that the sign that my daughter Bailey was going to leave was that she was going to take a blue magic marker and leave it in an unusual place. And a friend, Allie, said she came home from the funeral and she walked into her room and then neatly placed on the computer keyboard, you know, was a blue magic marker, you know, marker, which made it, uh, what made that significant is that she said she didn't own one and she hadn't used one in years, you know, and then she asked her family members if, if anybody had been in her room and they said no. So that, you know, those were the kind of things, did it mean anything to me at that point? No, I didn't believe in any of stuff. And of course I, I dismissed it, you know, to coincidence, but over the years there were, you know, many, many things that happened, um, 
there was a, a clip that they showed in the Netflix thing um, of uh, that we we let them use. We were talking about my daughter, and we walked into our kitchen, and our kitchen had a set of nine lights, you know, hi hats. And then um, all of a sudden, they started. It was a light show that lasted like fifteen minutes, just on and off, on and off, on and off. And a friend was filming me, and I'm just walking around trying to wrap my head around, to like, you know, what is it? And the next morning, of course, I got an electrician to the house, you know, and he took a part. I said, I need to know. And I took apart the light switches and it was absolutely nothing wrong. And it had never happened before and it never happened after. But that's an example of a, of, of a, of a message to get your attention. And because the theory is that they can manipulate their beings of energy and they can ma- manipulate energy. And that takes the form of, of lights, everyone, you know, and uh, manifestations and movement of objects and smells and so forth. You know? Oh, that's some incredible experiences that you've had. That's far beyond anything I've ever experienced. <laughs> Yeah, that that precognition. um, I had a similar experience in my family where in it was end of February 1999, two of my cousins died in a car accident. And they'd been over at my grandma's house that morning. And one of my other cousins Uh, So they were going from my grandma's house back to their house. And they asked one of my other cousins if she wanted to go with them. And my grandma said, no, you can't go. And my uncle looked at it and was like, what do you mean she can't go? She can't go. It's like, okay, whatever, mom. And they got in a car crash and both of my, so my, the older one who was behind the wheel, she died. And then her, one, she had two of her brothers were in the car with her. One of them died and another one was severely injured. And her son was also in the back seat and he was, his, his one arm was paralyzed. And if my other cousin had been in the car, she would have been killed or severely injured as well. And it's like, how, how did she know? What do you mean you can't go? Like, what are you talking about, grandma? And I went through the same thing because I, I had, a, I wanted to know, is it a case of precognition, you know, uh, or could it be somebody sending you a message? We are all connected in ways that we can't imagine, you know, and our consciousness is is entangled, you know, with, with others. It's you know, quite, quite amazing. Uh, there really is so much that we don't understand yet. That's for sure. <laughs> it's been great chatting with you. Um, where can people find your book? If- well, you can uh, get it on Amazon. It's called The Medium Explosion. You know, it's, uh, my name is Robert Ginsburg. And uh, also people can check out uh, foreverfamilyfoundation.org and a lot of the things we're talking about are uh, are shown, you know, uh, on the website. And there's, there's also a link, you know, to the book there. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And I hope you uh, continue to do great work. Thank you. Nice being with you. Take care. Now on to comics. No new comic today, but I did make a meme of a possum playing dead in the road. It says, I'm not dead, just tired and ugly. Very much sums up how I have been feeling lately. In comics news today, cartoonist Guy Gilchrist released an anthology collection containing some of his best cartoons, 40 Years of Mud Pie. The first edition pre-order sold out already, but you can join a waiting list for the next edition at nextchapterpost.com. In their review of the new sci-fi series, Resident Alien, Comic Watch rated the pilot episode 9.8 out of 10 for writing, storyline, acting, music, and production. Resident Alien is based on the comics by the same name from Dark Horse Comics. The show stars Alan Tudyk as Captain Ha Ray, whose spaceship gets struck by lightning and crash lands in Colorado. Ha Ray takes on the identity of human doctor Harry Vanderspiegel, gets sucked into a murder mystery, and gets convinced to temporarily take over the doctor's duties. Ha Ray must learn to act like a human and solve the murder while evading a mysterious organization chasing him. 
The first episode aired on the 27th of January, and new episodes come out weekly. Alright, next up is journalism. Every day in February, I've been highlighting one influential black history figure. Today's Black History Month highlight is Rosalind Cash, multiple Emmy Award nominee and an original member of the Negro Ensemble Company. Cash was born on the 31st of December 1938 in Atlantic City, New Jersey, to John O. and Martha Elizabeth Cash. She graduated with honors from Atlantic City High School in 1956, then attended City College of New York. After finishing college, she began stage acting. Her first major credit was a 1962 revival of Fiorello. In 1964, producer and actor Robert Hooks founded what would become the Negro Ensemble Company, an acting company specifically for minority actors that mainly performed original works with themes based in the black experience. Rosalind Cash was one of the original members of the acting company. She made her television debut in 1969, a New York area television show, Callback, for which she performed the song God Bless the Child. In 1973, Cash performed at the New York Shakespeare Festival alongside James Earl Jones. Throughout the 70s, 80s, and early 90s, she made numerous television and film appearances, including The Cosby Show, Golden Girls, and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. In 1985, she was nominated for an Emmy for her work on PBS's Go Tell It on the Mountain. In 1995, she appeared in Tales from the Hood, her last film appearance. Cash died of cancer on the 31st of October 1995 in Los Angeles, California at the age of 56. She was nominated for a posthumous Emmy in 1996 for her role as Mary May Ward on ABC's General Hospital. And now for today's current events. The University of Kentucky's basketball team won its third straight game this weekend, beating Tennessee 70-55. Leading scorers for Kentucky were Isaiah Jackson with 16 points, Davion Mintz 15, and Keon Brooks and Olivier Saar had 10 each. For Tennessee, Victor Bailey scored 18 points, Keon Johnson 15, and Evez Pons 10. Tennessee coach Rick Barnes said that we were beaten by just 15 is a surprise. We were that bad. We got stagnant. We play better when we move it and get going. Maybe I'm mean, but I like to see Tennessee lose. I still have a good-natured dislike for them after living in Knoxville for a few years and having to deal with their some of obnoxious fans. <laughs> and, and like Sandra Bullock said in The Blind Side, that gaudy shade of orange is not in my color wheel. Speaking of Tennessee, infectious disease physician Dr. Manoj Yan of Memphis spoke to a virtual meeting of state health officials in Tennessee today. He updated officials on local COVID variant numbers and how best to stop community spread. He had some information that I think is important for everyone to know. There is now a California mutation of the COVID-19 virus spreading within the United States, in addition to the UK, Brazil, and South African variants. Dr. Jan says that the South African and Brazilian variants are vaccine-resistant and recommends doubling up masks for extra protection against spreading the virus. He did have some good news. If you've been fully vaccinated and are diagnosed with a non-variant COVID strain, you won't be contagious. Last but not least, let's talk about barefooting. It got up to 2 degrees Celsius today, which is about 36 Fahrenheit. I did some barefooting, of course, because it hasn't been this warm in forever. I may have overdone it because my feet were very cold by the end of it, but it was so nice to be outside in my bare feet again. And now for the barefoot news. On Valentine's Day, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced they are expecting a second child. Their announcement came with a black and white photo of the couple barefoot on the grass, sharing a tender gaze, Meghan's head resting on Harry's lap. It was adorable. That's all for today's show. 
I'll be back next Sunday with another interview. Thanks so much for listening in. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to sierrathebarefootgirl at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at sierrathebarefoot, on Facebook as sierrathebarefootgirl, on Twitter at sierrabarefoot, and on TikTok at sierraisbarefoot. You can follow the podcast itself on Instagram at barefootingwithsierra. All of my books are available on Amazon. My comics are available on Instagram at World of Possums and Patreon.com slash PossumPete. Thank you to Legion X for the intro and outro music. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. And please share it with a friend if you've enjoyed it. Until next time, this has been Barefooting with Sierra.